I'm Grace Hughes and this is the Wholesome Sister Podcast, the show where we talk about all things health and wellness and hear from inspiring entrepreneurs and experts in this space so that you can live your best and most holistic life. You can also check out more information on these episodes in addition to some amazing recipes on my Instagram account at gracekE underscore Hughes. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello everyone, welcome to my very first interview with the lovely Chelsea Costa. Chelsea is a qualified naturopath nutritionist, medical herbalist, and is an active member of the Naturopaths and Herbalists Association of Australia. Chelsea is a beautiful person who is super knowledgeable and research focused, who creates supportive and evidence-based treatments for her patients. I chat to Chelsea about how she got to where she is now and her journey to become a naturopath. We also chat about skin, what acne is, how our diet and lifestyle influences acne, and much, much more. This episode is full of amazing content, and I am sure you will get so much out of this episode just like I have. So now for today's episode. So hello, Chelsea. Welcome to the Wholesome Sister podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Hi, Grace. Um, Good. Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, really looking forward to chatting today about all things skin. Awesome. So could you tell us a little bit about your childhood years and growing up? Um, so I am actually probably people might not be able to tell from my accent, but I'm actually from South Africa originally. So there might be certain words that pop in there that you go, oh, there it is. Um, but I was born in Johannesburg, South Africa, and then I live, I have lived in America um, for a little while as well. I lived in New Jersey, um, and we were there for sort of the 9/11 time, and then we ended up moving back to South Africa and um, basically went through the rest of primary school there, and then. In 2009, my parents decided that they wanted a better life for us and a safer life for us. Uh, so they packed us all up and we moved over to Perth, yeah, early 2009. So at the moment, we've been here for about 12 and a half years. Um, definitely, it was a really hard adjustment at first. Um, but now I do consider Perth to be home and would never consider going back to South Africa, except for a holiday when um, time and travel permits. But yeah, um, so that's basically me in a nutshell. Lived in a few places, um, but very happy living here in Perth. Wow, I thought I could pick an accent, but I just wasn't sure where it was from. But yeah, now it makes complete sense. So um, what got you into health and nutrition? Well, the journey started like a little bit later. I'd definitely say I grew up very conventional in many aspects, uh, especially living in South Africa. You know, when we were sick, we would be taken to the doctors and most likely, depending on what we had, you know, be put on antibiotics. And that was just a normal for us. We didn't really know any different. But um, yeah, even in my first few years of high school, I think it's probably that... Um, independence where you you know get to make all your own decisions and and I was my diet yeah definitely embarrassingly was not fantastic like um in terms of things like I don't know um Nutella and Milo were like my favorite things on the planet and I absolutely cringe at those things now but um from about year 10 year 11 I started to really realize that I couldn't just eat whatever I wanted and then I had to you know look after myself better so I started to change my diet, um, just 
basically cut out all the um, refined sugar and processed foods and just stuck to a more whole food sort of diet and then started to just progressively become more and more interested in particularly nutrition at the time. I still didn't really know too much about natural medicine. Um, and yeah, it was just a bit of a snowball from there, really. The more you learn and the more you, you know, find out and change your diet, you feel better and it just continues from there. So yeah, thankfully didn't have any major like health issue or anything to spark that, which many people do, but just sort of came there naturally. And yeah, really obviously happy with that um, change. So Chelsea, I know that you didn't actually originally enroll in naturopathy. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, sort of. So I, for a long time, what I wanted to do with my life was I wanted to be able to help people. And at the time, especially growing up, like I said, quite conventionally, I didn't know of any alternatives. So for me, you know, being a doctor was what I considered to be how you help people in a sort of health sense. So that was always my plan throughout high school. I yeah, basically prepared myself for that pathway, wanted to get into med, um, you know, aim to get that ATAR that you need and all of that. And um, finished high school, started studying um, six years, oh, sorry, six months of um, neuroscience at um, just a conventional university in Perth. And that was going to be like my undergrad. But to be honest, I absolutely hated it. I hated the environment. It just wasn't my passion. And throughout the journey, I had, like I said, developed that passion for nutrition and healthy eating and deep down I actually really wanted to study nutrition but I I don't know if it was the school that I went to but you know they really pressure you to do you know those those conventional courses and you know doc, being a doctor is seen as like the holy grail um so I kind of put my real passion aside to follow that pathway only to yeah so six months into that degree I basically had a little bit of a breakdown, not, not nothing terrible, but I, I think it was just my subconscious start telling me that this was not the pathway for me and that um, I wasn't going to be happy. So I listened to that um, and decided that I was going to study um, nutrition instead and then took six months off just to make sure that was exactly what I wanted to do before I started anything. Um, and then I actually started studying the nutrition degree, but I, a few weeks into that found out about naturopathy and realised that it seemed like a modality with so much more to offer um, further than just nutrition, which is obviously really important, but being a naturopath, you use the nutrition and the other side of things as well. So, yeah, I didn't really know too much about it, to be honest, when I <laughs> changed to that degree. I just heard a little bit about it and something inside me was like, yes, this is this is what you're meant to do. So, yeah, enrolled and, well, swapped over, should I say, and never looked back. Wow. So I know there's a lot of misunderstanding on what naturopathy actually is. So could you give our listeners a little bit of a rundown on what a naturopath is and what it is that you do? Um, so yeah, a natural a naturopath is a basically like a natural medicine practitioner. And our aim is to identify and treat the cause of someone's um, condition or disease or um, yeah and basically restore them back to health and bring back their vitality so uh, increasingly I'd say naturopathy is becoming more of an evidence-based um, modality Do we still need more research and there's so much to be done but 
you know, there are studies and systematic reviews coming out now proving efficacy for the things that we've been using for a long time. So in terms of like what a naturopath will use, um, they use, well, we use uh, a combination of a few things depending on what's happening with the person. So we'll definitely do like dietary modification, whether that's, yeah, changing the diet or we might use nutritional supplementation as well where necessary. Um, herbal medicine is a big one, which I'm, yeah, in love with. And um, lifestyle modification as well is a big one too uh, so basically what being a naturopath looks like for me at least um it can take different forms but i see patients in a one-to-one -one setting where we might see each other for starting out with 60 minutes and then follow-ups are about 30 minutes and basically i talk to them ask them the most amount of questions about their health that they've ever been asked in one go um, to get a really detailed case history and then i more often than not will send them off to have some blood tests done or some sort of testing depending on what's going on so that we can actually get some objective data as to what's you know happening internally um and then initially i might start with a prescription of like dietary modification if i know enough um, about what's going on i might put them on a prescription but then a few weeks later we check in once we have all that information and we talk it through educate them on what's going on and then i'm yeah basically putting the pieces of the puzzle together with their health and addressing each thing as we find it so that's basically it in a nutshell <laughs> yeah i i mean ever since i started studying naturopathy as well i think what i originally thought naturopathy was has completely changed as well i think originally i thought it was some kind of hippie practice or something like that and then i realized when i actually went to the endeavor open day and you were actually the one who uh, made me move in out of nutrition and into naturopathy. You really inspired me to make that move. Um, and honestly, yeah. I am so grateful that you did because I absolutely love it. It's so interesting. And yeah, there's honestly, seeing a naturopath can be so life-changing. So what do you enjoy most about your job? Oh gosh, that's a tough one. Um, there's so many things that I love about it, honestly. I'd say, <sighs> Yeah, like in terms of um, this, there's a few things I love, the, the flexibility of the job and the fact that it's not your standard nine to five job as well, which is fantastic. But more than anything, I suppose I just love being able to help people and really like changing their lives. Um, you know, there's no greater feeling than um, turning someone's health around. So whether that's, you know, clearing their skin so they've got more confidence and they're just happier within themselves or helping a couple fall pregnant, for instance, that's pretty phenomenal. That has to be up there with one of the better things. Um, or, you know, getting someone who has horrific periods to someone with symptom-free periods. Um, yeah, those are just a few examples, but it's honestly, it just gives you, it fills you with so much joy and happiness and um, you feel like you are making a difference um, in people's lives, which is the most important thing I'd say. So let's head into the main section of the podcast where we're really just talking about skin. So could you tell yeah. us what is the difference between hormonal acne and skin breakouts? So generally I'll, I'll talk about what acne is in general and then we'll talk about um, hormonal acne. So basically acne is, uh, well, acne vulgaris as it's technically called, is an inflammatory condition um, that involves the pilosebaceous units in the skin. And so basically, in short, that's just like an inflammatory skin condition. Um, and there's sort of four main factors in the 
sort of what we call the pathogenesis of it. So, um, or a few factors, should I say. So there's enlargement of the sebaceous glands or like the oil glands um, leading to increased oil or sebum production. So that's one. Um, then we've got some like just basically disordered skin shedding. So we call it hyperkeratinization um, of the palisbaceous ducts. Um, then there's always generally a um, factor of an overgrowth of bacteria and it's generally the QT, QT bacterium acnes. That's actually the new name for it. It used to be called um, propionobacterium acnes a few years ago. Um, so that's basically like colonization of this bacteria. And then there's also periglandular dermal inflammation. So yeah, like I said before, just inflammation of the skin. Um, so when it comes to hormonal acne, hormonal acne is basically acne that is triggered or exacerbated by fluctuations of hormones. Um, it could be a number of different hormones and I'll probably end up talking about some of them later on, but like it could be testosterone, it could be estrogen, it could be insulin. Um, there's so many different hormones in the body. So yeah, it can be a bit of an investigative process to um, figure out what's actually contributing to a person's individual hormonal acne or is it hormonal, is it not hormonal at all? Um, that is sort of what we try to figure out because how you treat different cases of acne depends on obviously what's going on and what's causing it in the first place. And so what, um, what are these really, these hormones that are involved in acne? So there's a few. So like I said, high testosterone is a big, one of the biggest ones. So testosterone falls part of a um, class of hormones called androgens. So there's a few other androgens like androgenodione and DHEAS. Um, but basically these androgens stimulate the sebaceous gland activity. So it results in like greater sebum production. Then this leads to the hyperkeratosis um, that I spoke about, which then generally leads to blockage of the follicle, um, which then starts to dilate. And that forms like a, what we call a comedone. Um, and then depending on the nature of what's going on, there'll be like a transition from a comedone to a, a, a postural papule nodule um, due to the presence of that bacteria, the, cuter, uh, the C. acnes bacteria that I mentioned. Um, so I definitely say androgens are one of the biggest ones that I see, but certainly not the only ones. Um, other ones that I see are like an imbalance of high testosterone, uh, sorry, no, I said testosterone already, um, estrogen, uh, potentially low progesterone as well. High insulin is a big one. Um, those are generally the main ones that I see. And then depending on those, we might look for other ones related to those as well. But um, yeah, those are the main ones. So is this really why adults can still get hormonal acne even after puberty as well because of these hormones? Uh, yes. So I, I would say the number one reason that I see adults with, particularly women, um, with hormonal acne um, as an adult is because of their transition coming off the oral contraceptive pill. Um, so generally these women, most of them have had like a history of acne as, their teen, uh, as a teen, but then they've been put on the pill as like a band-aid um, temporary solution and their skin's great and amazing while they're on it. And then later on, they decide they want to come off it, whether that's just to not have the hormones in their body or if they want to, you know, fall pregnant down the track. And then what you get when you're on the pool is a complete suppression of um, most of your hormones, your natural hormones, and particularly um, testosterone and androgens are suppressed. So that's why skin's fantastic when you're on it. But when you come off it, you almost get a bit of a rebound effect. Um, so it can take, some, it, it's quite interesting to 
observe the process or, or hear about the process when people come to me as to when that journey began. But sometimes for some women, it's straight away, like within a few weeks of coming off the pool. Sometimes they can have um, okay skin until about the six month mark and then all hell breaks loose and the skin just goes completely um, haywire. So yeah, I'd say from an adult cause point of view, that's a really, really big one. Um, but then unfortunately as well, I think we live in a world where we're exposed to so many chemicals and toxins and what we call like endocrine disrupting um, chemicals. So whether that's from plastics or various different things. And I generally see hormonal imbalances to be quite prevalent. Obviously I am seeing a skewed population of people that are coming when they have a problem, but it's, Sadly, it's um, more common, or sorry, more uncommon to see someone with a textbook perfect menstrual cycle with no pain or issues along the way compared to someone who um, has all these issues. So, yeah, it's it's a real issue and there's so many factors um, involving these things. But, yeah, um, it's, it's a big thing that I see. So um, people really do struggle with it as an adult. Yeah, it's actually, <clears throat> I think, yeah, getting adult acne is, is really tough as well because I feel like, I guess, acne is a little bit normalised in puberty, but then, yeah, when you become an adult, you think, oh, acne goes away, but for a lot of people it doesn't or sometimes, you know, they might have teenage, go through their teenage years without any acne at all and then they get it in their adult years. So, yeah, that's super interesting mm -hmm. and um do you find that different oral contraceptives um, can have different effects on the skin as well? Uh, generally, like, I I mean, I do sometimes have patients come to me that are on the pill, um, depending on, it could be various ones, but, um, and still actually have acne on it as well. So uh, generally, medically, they'll be putting women on higher dose um pills like when they've got skin issues so it might be like a, a yaz or a brenda or an estelle or something like that um depending and that's generally why they like they might have been on it um from a teenager because they had um acne whereas if someone's put on it for a contraceptive it might be a lower dose one like a, a femtab or, or something lower dose that um isn't as good as at suppressing those androgens so yeah. And then on the other hand, there's certain progestins and certain hormones in oral contraceptives that actually are almost like basically derived from like androgen. So they can be quite androgenic in their nature as well. So it's all a bit of a mess, to be honest. Um, and yeah, it, it's certainly like the effects of being on them long term um, definitely come back to, to bite everyone later on, unfortunately and the process of coming off it is never a smooth easy process for most women unfortunately we'll probably have to have you come back on the podcast and talk a lot about it because I know that you've got plenty of posts on Instagram that are really interesting on the, the pill about you know suppressing hormones and and different things like that so yeah we'll definitely have to get you back on to chat about that sort of thing um, but is there a link between diet and acne as well? What does the research tell us? Uh, yes, I would say definitely there is. Well, at least I, I definitely see it. So in terms of the biggest factor, I'd definitely say dairy is without a doubt, well, oh, cow's dairy, should I say, without a doubt the number one, may, maybe not triggering, but certainly exacerbating factor that I see in practice. So 
I see if someone cuts out dairy, oh, sorry, cow's dairy, I should keep clarifying. Um, you can expect a good, at least 50% improvement in their skin within the first sort of two to three weeks. And I'd say that's true for like 99% of the people that I see. Um, I might have the odd person here and there that really doesn't truly see a direct correlation with it. And they tell me, oh no, I've cut out dairy and it's made no difference. Well, generally I'd then push and figure out that there is actually, there was still dairy coming in their diet and they didn't really cut it out fully. Um, but maybe like I can think of maybe two women that I've seen who, yeah, like when they've told me and we see it, that there's no relationship with that. And that is out of hundreds of women as well. So it's a very small percentage, but yeah, in terms of um, research, uh, there is there was a systematic review um, and meta-analysis released in 2018 that basically concluded that um, any dairy such as milk, yogurt and cheese was actually associated with an increased risk of acne in individuals. And I, I think what would be a little bit more interesting um, are studies basically looking at it not in terms of dairy being a risk factor, but what happens when you cut out dairy when you have acne. So like taking a sample of, of um, adults or yeah, whatever, anyone with acne really, and um, getting them to shift away from the cow's dairy completely and tracking those results. And I think the results would be quite convincing because I, like I said, see it so clearly in the clinic. Um, so dairy is definitely number one in terms of other factors. So I don't see things like gluten to be as much of a problem for everyone at least, um, at least not obviously. Like dairy is very much, you have the dairy and a day, two, three, maybe sometimes four days later, there will be an obvious direct breakout from it. Whereas gluten is maybe a bit more of a problem underneath, like at a, at a, um, a more surface level where um and well, sorry, at a gut level where the, the gut might be compromised because gluten is quite inflammatory and it can contribute to um, increased intestinal permeability. So especially if someone has um, something like celiac, obviously it's definitely going to be a problem. But if someone is sensitive to gluten in other ways, then that inflammation is going to definitely manifest at a skin level. Um, but probably more direct as a link than gluten would be sugar, like refined sugars, I'd say. Um, the research is also pretty clear on that. You know, it talks about low, low glycemic index foods being beneficial for acne and avoiding all the high GI foods as well. Um, but I mean, it's sort of, a, uh, dairy makes sense, but sugar makes sense as well because sugar basically drives um, insulin production, which drives the production of testosterone via insulin-like growth hormone one. Um, so yeah, very clear correlation there. I'd say, even though there's these, there are these like general foods that we know aren't great, um, everyone is still very much an individual. So I'd say most women react to dairy, but then as to what their other triggers are, is going to be so individual. Like some women can eat all the sugar that they want and their skin's fine. Um, whereas others just look at sugar and their skin breaks out. Whereas for some women it's all. I say woman because that's the majority of my practice, but I do see men as well. Um, so I apologize to any men listening to this, but it's, uh, yeah, for some other people, it's uh, alcohol is their trigger or eggs might be the trigger for some people. Like it's really quite varied. And that's part of my job is trying to figure out what is the, the triggering or exacerbating factors for my patient and yeah, working to minimize these foods, but also working to see if we can get them to a place where they can might be to tolerate these things because you know you want it to be sustainable 
um, and you want them to be able to handle certain amounts of things and not completely, you know, break out. So just going back onto dairy, just for all the health nerds out like myself, how is it that dairy can actually lead to acne? So um, I always explain it to my patients in terms of like, just picture a huge cow, like cows are huge animals and they make their own hormones. They make estrogen, they make progesterone, they make testosterone. These hormones are fat soluble. So they get passed into the milk, um, which then we as little tiny humans consume on top of our own hormones that we have as well. So it's just a dose of extra hormones that our body really doesn't need. And if you think like, I'm not, I'm not vegan, I'm not anti, you know, anything like that, but it, um, humans aren't designed to drink milk because milk is designed to make a baby, a little tiny baby calf grow into a big giant cow. And we are humans that, you know, we obviously when we're young, we're, we're having our, our mother's milk and that serves a purpose, but we, there's no need for it later on in life, um, at least in large amounts, should I say. Like in small amounts, generally for a lot of people is fine. But the other reason why dairy is a problem, particularly cow's dairy, is because it contains A1 casein protein, um, which is quite inflammatory to the body. And that also increases insulin-like growth factor one which, like I said earlier, drives that insulin production, which drives testosterone production. So it's a very clear, direct, like scientific path um, that it's having. It's not just, um, yeah, it's not just a, an observation, should I say. Um, and then the other thing that dairy has as well, and on top of those hormones that I mentioned, is it has five, like precursors to the um, uh, enzyme 5-alpha reductase, and 5-alpha reductase converts testosterone to the more potent form of testosterone, which is dihydrotestosterone or DHT. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty clear-cut to me, um, but there is, yeah, fortunately some research to back it up as well. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely it's not a guessing game when it comes to dairy. So for someone who's looking to, you know, cut out gluten or dairy or any of those trigger foods and maybe limit the amount of GI foods they're consuming, how long can they go on this diet until they start to see results? Uh, well, so in terms of when I see patients, most of them are pretty desperate, so they'll do whatever they need to do. So most of them are like, yeah, doing it, cutting it out. Um, they, I would say within a good two weeks, you should start to notice an improvement if you're doing it 100%. A lot of people go, yeah, no, I cut out dairy, but they only cut out milk, but they were having yogurt and cheese and sometimes ice cream and you know so it really wasn't a real or, or true test um so i'd say about two weeks but sometimes it can take longer like depending on how bad the acne is um sometimes four weeks is necessary um but then don't get me wrong like it's an important part of the process but it's never the only part of the process that we then need to figure out what else is happening and what other factors do we need to address internally um and then generally I'll be looking at hormones as well to make sure that, um, yeah, I definitely see a, a relationship with women, particularly women with like PCOS who already have high testosterone naturally when they then have dairy because they've got higher than the average woman um, in terms of testosterone levels, then all these extra, uh, all these extra hormones and testosterone and enzymes that convert testosterone to the more potent testosterone are just too much for the body to handle. And then it comes out more clearly in the skin than someone else. 
So I'd say I ask my patients when they're really reluctant to do it to give me a good like four weeks. And then by that stage, they generally are seeing the results and are convinced and are happy to stay on it longer because they realize that clear skin is more worth it than the dairy that they have, you know, sometimes. Yeah. So Chelsea, I wanted to ask about skin mapping. Uh, You know how you find it on social media and on the internet about, you know, correlating the cause of your acne to the location of it on your face. Do you use skin mapping in your practice and is there any evidence behind it? Um, I find it an interesting thing. I definitely, I don't use it as like a hard and fast rule because well, I, I do think it can be a guide. Um, so I wouldn't look at someone and be like, this is 100% the cause of your acne because your acne is in this pattern. But it, I go, okay, well, it's interesting that it's in that pattern. Let's investigate in more legitimate ways to figure out if that is truly the cause. Um, but I mean, I do see a level of accuracy to it. Like, you know, it's stemming from traditional Chinese medicine um, theories that various different organs are connected to certain parts of the body and areas of the face. So yeah in terms of the most obvious ones you know it's quite widely accepted that breakouts along like the jawline and the chin are um particularly related with like a hormone imbalance again it could be a combination of a few different things um lower down on the the neck under the jaw i see estrogen is quite an obvious one when i end up testing it um androgens and testosterone can be on the cheeks it can be on the jawline um the other thing that sort of correlates with the accuracy of that particular pattern is when um, the these breakouts flare at certain parts of a woman's cycle, then we generally know that um, there is a hormonal imbalance there, whereas I, t- I tend to see that, you know, patients with constant bad skin that doesn't fluctuate, that doesn't get better and then get worse, that's generally most of the time not 100% fully hormonal. That might be another factor. Um, whereas most of the women I see their skins are either flaring like in the week before their period or potentially around ovulation. And that tells me two different things. And it gives me a way to, like I said, investigate it and then address it accordingly as well. So what are some of the most common ingredients you tell your clients to look out for in their skincare products to avoid? Look, this one's a bit of a minefield. Um, I... Yeah, I'm super honest with all my patients. I'm, you know, I'm not a dermal therapist. I don't have training in, although I'd love to do that someday. Um, but I don't have training specifically in treating the skin from a topical point of view. Um, so, but there's certainly absolutely are things that I, I talk to my patients about in terms of what products are they using. I try to gauge, you know, how natural or how shocking are these products. So as a general rule, we want to stay away from um, like, well, it's not particularly related to skincare, but in general, from a lifestyle point of view, we want to stay away from um, like plastics. We also want to stay away from the real conventional beauty hair, all you know, all those sort of products. So like deodorants, um, shampoos, conditioners, perfumes, those sorts of things. Um, but the particular, like I suppose, ingredients that I'm cautious of the most are things like phthalates. So phthalates are what they add to plasticizer, uh, like to plastics um, as a plasticizer to soften the plastics. And then, um, but that also, you know, allow like scented things. So anything that has a scent to it, that basically you want um, to adhere the scent to your skin. So that's perfumes, deodorants, um, same with uh, laundry powder as well. Um, those all have a lot of phthalates in them, but um other things would be like fragrance because fragrance 
as an ingredient is basically a get out of jail free card for these companies to basically under the fragrance can be a whole list of different ingredients um, that they don't have to specify. So it could be five to 10 to a hundred different nasty chemicals that might actually not even be allowed to be used, but because it's in the fragrance, then it's okay. Um, polyethylene glycols are another one, parabens. Honestly, the list is quite extensive. So like I said, I'm not a dermal therapist, but I'm very big on particularly patients with really, really bad skin, but anyone with any sort of skin concern is actually seeing a holistic dermal therapist or someone that can actually um, figure out your skin type, figure out, you know, what treatments are necessary and what topicals to use. So I, um, yeah, I have a, um, well, I highly recommend um, for anyone in Perth going to like the Skin Fairy, they're, they're amazing. They are fantastic at what they do and they get amazing results as well. But in terms of other ways that we can look at ingredients as to what is in um, your products and if you sh you shouldn't be using them is a great database by the Environmental Working Group. Um, it's called Skin Deep. And basically, depending on the products, you can put your product in this database and it gives you a rating from zero to um, 10 with zero being like the least sort of toxic, least evidence for harm and 10 being, you know, basically but it's going to give you cancer and it's, it's shocking um, and then anywhere in between. And so if they don't have that particular product that my patient's using, they can then, depending on how long the ingredient list is, they can in, input each individual ingredient in the database and work out what's safe, what's not safe. And if you're, you know, coming up with really high numbers, higher than sort of two or three, then you know this product isn't fantastic. Um, and then I generally get them to stay away from it. So it's a it's a big topic, very important part of um, looking after your skin is making sure that you're using the right products, but also safe products as well. Yeah, it's, it's really scary, this whole fragrance thing. And hopefully there's some changes in the yeah legalities of, of what um, what businesses can put into their products because, yeah, super scary. All right, so I know you've kind of covered a lot of it in what you've said earlier, but as a naturopath, how do you help your patients in treating skin conditions? Um, yeah, like I said earlier, I, I definitely see my role as being the person, the advocate, I suppose, or the person for this patient in front of me to um, figure out what, what is causing this because most often they've been on you know, have been through the typical pattern of had skin as a teenager, maybe, or maybe not, but we'll put on the pill, but then um, put on the pill for it. Maybe that helps, but didn't help, came off it, went on Rakutane, tried antibiotics. Um, and this might happen in a different sort of pattern. It might be the antibiotics first and the Rakutane, then the pill. There's a whole mix that you see, but it's, yeah, it's quite frightening how similar the pattern is. And then, um, you know, they've tried pretty much everything on the, under the sun, um, and are either getting no results with the person that they're seeing topically or are getting great, great results, but only getting so far and wanting to really take it to that next level. So yeah, it generally involves addressing a lot of the dietary factors that I mentioned. So figuring out what's their individual triggers on top of the obvious, most common ones as well, like dairy, like I said. Um, and then I might start with a bit of nutritional supplementation. So most people that I see with acne need zinc. Um, so that's generally something I'll be putting someone on straight away. Don't generally test it um, unless, yeah, unless I see a particular reason for it. Um, and then in terms of 
blood tests, I'll be checking certain um, hormones at certain, particularly at certain parts of the cycle, if there is very much a cyclical fluctuation to their breakout. So if it's happening before their period, we check the hormones before the period. If it's around ovulation, I probably wouldn't check that around ovulation because hormones are normally through the roof, especially estrogen when um, ovulation happens. So I might look at it in a different way. Um, I'll definitely be checking androgens. Like I said, if someone's struggling with their weight, destroying weight in that midsection, I'll be checking the insulin. Um, and then I like to look at individual factors like um, iron status is really important. And, you know, more often than not, that most women have absolutely shocking iron levels. Um, vitamin D is a big one as well. If someone's really stressed, I'll support that as well because cortisol can be a factor for breakouts as well. And then, like I said, the best part about being a naturopath is having those herbs. So I personally could not function without these herbs. I would not be as good as what I do if I didn't have them. Um, they are magical. So for instance, if um, someone had like low progesterone levels, seven days post ovulation, or their breakouts were really happening mostly in that week before their period and they were coupled with like lots of PMS and those sort of symptoms, then the herb that I would consider would be like Chase Tree or Vitex. That has got to be one of the best herbs around. It's probably one of my favorites. Um, whereas if someone had like high testosterone, then that might allude to them having PCOS. So that would be a whole other topic to talk about. But um, then I'd be using herbs like peony and licorice combination um, to get their testosterone down as much as we possibly can. Um, often we're working with genetic factors as well. So like I said, if someone has PCOS, then we can do everything we can to get those down down but you probably never get them down to the level of someone who doesn't have PCOS um if I suspected that um someone's breakout was not so much hormonal but very much related to like a bacterial overgrowth um or if they had like insulin um, issues then I'd be using herbs like philodendron or berberine containing herbs um I see them work pretty phenomenally for those sort of things um so yeah each case is sort of different um I see our therapeutic relationship is very much like a team. So I basically, when I see someone, I become super invested in getting them to where they want to be. And often I'm probably more more motivated than they are. Um, no, that's, that's a lie. Most of my patients are super motivated. But um, yeah, I see us working together. I need them to work with me and I need them to do the things that, I, you know, we need to get the results. And then I need them to check in with me when we follow up and, you know, we, we kind of talk it out, we figure out what's happening, what's changed, what's improving, what else do we need to investigate. Um, to a certain degree, I'm yeah, super honest with my patients, there is a level of trial and error when it comes to skin, um, particularly more so for some cases that are maybe not as obvious, but I say trial and error, it's not like guesswork, it's me figuring out the obvious things from bloods and, and patterns and, and that sort of thing, and then we go, I make an educated decision based on that. We go, okay, let's try this pathway. And I, I also like to not do too much at once as well, because if you give someone a million things, then you're not going to know what's actually making the biggest difference. So often I'll start and layer things in and then we sort of see how the body responds and realize that because of what we've done there, you know, that was a real factor there as well. So yeah. All I'll say is the best results come from the, the patients that fully just surrender their, all their trust to me and just let me work with them and, um, yeah, 
get to go through the process and we do get pretty phenomenal results. So it's a pretty, pretty fun relationship. I do. Well, I love all my patients, but I do love my, my skin patients. Um, it's a, it's a lovely journey together. Yeah, you do an amazing job. And I, I've actually got a couple of friends that I know have seen you and you've done some amazing things with them and really helped them as well. And even, you know, changed their mental health in the process, because I know skin can really play in a lot of people's mental health as well. So you're incredible at what you do. And I know at the end of the podcast, I'll get you to, um, yeah, just tell us where to find you so that if anyone needs um, or wants to see you for their skin, um, they know where to go. So for those as well that don't, maybe don't have the money to go um, see you straight away, I know you have an amazing ebook, which I have read and it's very thorough and you've done so much work to it. It's amazing. So um, where can our listeners purchase your book? Uh, well, thank you for those lovely kind words. Um, yes, I put a lot of work into that ebook, and yeah, I actually just looked back on it um, just yesterday, actually, in preparation for this, and I was just yeah so proud of it. Um, but it yeah it took a lot of effort, um, but it is uh, you can find it on our website, so peppermintandsage.com, um, or you know through our Instagram as well. Um, yeah, it's it's there. It's I, yeah, I think it's a great um, resource to get started as to, you know, especially like you said, for people that don't have the money, um, I've tried to literally pour my heart and soul into that and make it so that for people that truly cannot afford to see naturopath, that they can do everything in their power to at least get to a really, really great stage with their skin. Um, it is quite detailed and I have had some people tell me like, wow, I never expected it to have so much information and so much detail. but I didn't, oh yeah, I just didn't want to hold back. So um, yeah, that's that. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of information and I'm sure that anyone that reads it will definitely, yeah, find so much useful information in there. So as we're getting to the end of the episode, I have a couple of quick fire questions to ask you. So the first question is, do you have any books that you recommend our listeners to look at? From a health point of view, this might interest people listening. Um, it's a really great way to get started, but it's a book that I read when I was a student um, back when I knew very little and it really helps contribute to a lot of the foundational knowledge that I have now that I then expanded on. But um, I don't know if you've heard of it, The Period Repair Manual by Lara Bryden. Um, phenomenal book in terms of understanding hormones as a, you know, at a fundamental level. Um, she talks about various different manifestations that hormonal condition, conditions can sort of um, come through in. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a must read for every, every woman, I'd say. Yeah, I definitely love that book. I've actually heard of that one. One of my lecturers told me to um, look into it and I read it and it's, it's really, really good. Um, and what's your favorite TV show? um oh I love um Outlander I don't know if you've seen it it's a sort of a fantasy um one the best um also a fan of younger it's something light-hearted easy to watch um yeah but I'd say Outlander is probably like one of my all-time favorite shows you can't be a naturopath and haven't seen Outlander I mean there's so much herbal medicine used on the show so anyways so what is your favorite way to unwind um, I'm a big fan of like spending time out in nature as much as possible, but I also love like walking. So I tend to, yeah, like to go, I'd love to go on like more 
um, sort of specific bushwalks and hikes and that sort of thing. But um, I don't know, just in Perth, um, I'm a huge fan of Bulb Park in the middle of sort of Sea Beach area. Um, you know, you, when you're there, you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. And yeah, so I love doing like the Zamia Trail either by myself or with a friend or with my sister. Um, such a great like walk, but just so peaceful and relaxing and you just really feel like you're in like out in nature. So yeah, it's probably one of my favorite things to do. And finally, what's your go-to meal? Uh, something that I find quite easy, but it's something that I love as well is making like a, like a, like a poke bowl. So, um, cause you can, you know, pack it with so many amazing, delicious, nutritious things. And, um, yeah, so something, you know, potentially some beautiful, if you can find it, it's not that hard to find, but some like, um, wild caught salmon with some beautiful organic brown rice, um, cucumber, avo, some like grated carrot, um, cabbage, maybe some like edamame um, and organic tamari sauce. That is, yeah, definitely a go-to meal for me when I'm not too sure what to make for, for, din- for dinner or lunch or something like that. Yum, that sounds so good. Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on to the Wholesome Sister podcast. You are absolutely amazing. And I know anyone that listens to this episode will get so much out of it, just like I have. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, you're an amazing practitioner. So if someone wants to come and book in to see you, where can they find you? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And thank you for all those lovely words. Um, yeah, really enjoyed this. Uh, I So I practice um, out of a clinic called Perth Health and Fertility in City Beach. Um, but the, yeah, a good way to get in touch with me is either to follow us on Instagram or to head to our website, um, Peppermint and Sage. And I say our because I, I share the website um, and the page with my sister, who's a kinesiologist. Um, but yeah, I've got a booking system through there. So if anyone, yeah, was hoping to see me, then that would be the way to, to get the process started. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, I would love it if you could rate this podcast and share on your Instagram or with your family and friends. I hope to see you next time. Bye.